0: Well, knowing who someone is can change everything, right? really can. I'll prove it to you, in fact. Uh, Let's say that you came today, you didn't know who I was, which, by the way, if you don't know who I am... My name is Jeff Manis. I'm the lead pastor here, and whether you are right here in the room or maybe joining us on a video screen somewhere, I am so thankful uh, that you've chosen to celebrate Easter with us today. Uh, I am usually the one, more often than not, that gives the message, and I will be giving the Easter message today. So let's say you arrive, you don't know who I am, you're prepared for Easter celebration services, which Easter is the biggest day in the Christian faith. The day that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, and here I walk out and I say, hey, my name's Jeff Manis, and I'm bringing the Easter message today. Uh, you need to know I'm not a pastor. In fact, I don't even believe in Jesus at all, but I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night, <laughs> right? Knowing who I was would change everything about your Easter service expectations, uh, Reminds me of a, of a specific individual, actually, and I'm going to speak to the older audience for a moment here, okay, and I'm including myself in that. But who here remembers or knows the name Alan Funt? Raise your hand if you know Alan. Yeah, lots of old people like me. Okay, that's good. So, yeah. So Alan Funt was the host of a hidden camera practical joke show called Candid Camera. And with today being April Fool's Day, it got me thinking about him and practical jokes. Now, I love a good practical joke. Don't get me wrong. I love it when it's done to someone else and not to me. Can I get a witness up in here? I know it's not a very Christian thing to admit, but it is The truth, and because of that, I'm a sucker. practical joke television shows as well. And there's been a number of them throughout the years, but really all of them have their roots in a show called Candid Camera that took place in the 1960s. It was hosted by Alan Funt, and uh, he would have been, in the 60s, a a well-known, a household face and a household name. And like any other hidden camera practical joke show out there, they would set some uh, uh, unsuspecting poor soul up with this experience of chaos or fear fear or embarrassment and then Alan Funt would enter the scene and he would say, smile, what? You're on candid camera, you know what I'm talking about. So on February 3rd, 1969, Alan Funt along with his wife and two of their kids, excuse me, They boarded a commercial flight from New Jersey all the way to Miami, Florida for some family time. While they were en route, however, one of the passengers took a flight attendant hostage by holding a knife to her throat, forcing his way into the cockpit, and having the pilot divert the plane to Cuba. So the pilot gets on the intercom, and as calmly as he can, explains what's going on on the plane, which obviously creates great alarm and some panic among the passengers. But throughout this whole process, there was a woman sitting by, Alan Funt, who recognized him and begins to question whether any of this is real. So she asks him, are you Alan Funt? To which he confirmed, but denied his involvement in any way with what was going on. So she starts telling other people around her, guys, this is not real. Like, we are on candid camera. That's Alan Funt right there. So other people would tell other people until it was spreading throughout the whole plane, so much so that people were leaving their seats to come confirm. They were even pointing at Alan Funt and laughing. Alan Funt's daughter at one point uh, tells the story that the passengers were so convinced they were gonna be on TV that when the terrorists came out of the cockpit at one point, they cheered. (laughs) Can you imagine being the terrorist (laughs) or the person on, on the plane? It wasn't until they actually landed in Cuba and were not allowed off the plane that they believed they were not on candid camera and would not be on TV. It was only because those people knew who Alan Funt was that they acted the way they did in an otherwise terrifying situation. And the same can be true about Jesus. That when we know who Jesus is, it has the power to change the way we act and feel and live in this life, even in terrifying, difficult, and challenging seasons. The answer to the question, who is Jesus, Which, by the way, is the title for our sermon series we're starting today, four weeks long, uh, starting today. The title of it is Who is Jesus? That question, the answer to that question, is a matter of eternal importance. Even people who don't believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord, especially around times like this, Easter and, and Christmas, they want to know the answer to that question. So if that's you today, you don't believe in Jesus, uh, not only are you welcome to, to question Jesus here, but you're welcome to ask questions about Jesus here, whether you ever believe what we believe or not. And please understand that if you are asking the question, who is Jesus, you are not alone in this world. Even the world asks that question. You realize that? Did you know that 21 times, 21 different times, Jesus has been on the cover of Time Magazine? Every time, the article's revolving around the question, who is this Jesus? I did a search on Google for the phrase, who is Jesus? Google kicked out 36,200,000 results for the question, who is Jesus? I searched on Amazon, who is Jesus? Over 4,000 book results on the question, who is Jesus? Just for fun, I searched on Amazon, who is Jeff Manis? Guess how many results there are? Zero Why? Because no one cares who Jeff Maness is, but everyone wants to know, who is this Jesus? Even Jesus understood that people wanted to know the answer to this question when he was on the earth. At one point, he asked his disciples, his 12 disciples, who do people say I am? They responded, some say you're John the Baptist, come back from the dead. Others say you are Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then Jesus drilled down into the question he really wanted to ask. It's found in Matthew 16, verse 15, says this. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And friends, Jesus is still asking that question of us today. Who do you say I am? And the answer to that question changes everything. Psalm 23 is perhaps the most well-known chapter in all of the Bible. In it, King David, the same David that slayed Goliath, he gives us this great depiction of Jesus. We're actually going to use Psalm 23 as the foundation for our entire sermon series as we seek to answer that question, who is Jesus? Today, just kind of as a a foundational verse, we're using Psalm 23.1. So the first verse of Psalm 23... Uh, It's from the New Living Translation, says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I have all. Help me out and say all. all. I have all that I need. We could hang out there for a long time, could we not? So it's more than ironic to me that Jesus then in his lifetime uses the analogy of a shepherd to describe himself. So in John chapter 10, John, one of the 12 disciples, wrote this letter, this gospel we call John. He records Jesus saying this in John 10 verse 11, I am the good shepherd. So what's all this mean? Well, I think on this Easter Sunday, there is not a better Day, I can't imagine a better day to talk about this big idea I have for us today. It's on the screens if you want to write it down, and it's this. Jesus is more than just a shepherd. He is our good shepherd. Amen, believers in the room? He's more than just a shepherd. He is our good shepherd. Now I know for some people, within the sound of my voice, after what you've faced in or gone through with your life, just hearing the words good put next to God or Jesus, that's hard for you to reconcile, and I get that. So not only are you asking the question, who is Jesus, but maybe you're asking this big question today, what makes Jesus so good? Like if Jesus is our good shepherd, what makes him so good? That's a great question that we're going to hopefully answer for you today. We're going to be in the book of John, chapter 10, verses 1 through 27. So we're not going to read every verse today, and we're going to kind of jump around a bit and not read them in order. And so if you want to follow along on the screens, you can. If you want to use your own Bible, that's fantastic. If you came today without owning a Bible, please don't leave without one. We give them away for free, especially on Easter Sunday. Ask for a Bible at guest services. We'll get you one free of charge. A little background here to John 10. In John 9, the previous chapter... Jesus actually heals a man that had been born blind. He was blind from birth. Jesus gives him sight. And this actually infuriates the Jewish religious leaders because Jesus healed him on the Sabbath. It was against the law to work on the Sabbath. And they apparently thought that healing someone was too much work in their mind, so Jesus broke the law. So they went to this guy that was healed, and they asked him, Who is it that healed you? Like, Jesus, we know, is a sinner. He is not sent from God. So who do you say Jesus is? And the man's response was this, I don't know who he is, all I know is this, I was blind but now I see, which is where we get the great line from the song Amazing Grace. So here in John 10, Jesus knows they asked him that question, who is Jesus? And so in John 10, we see perhaps the lengthiest and clearest self-description from Jesus on who he is. He answers that question, uh, especially he answers the question, what makes him so good? So we're going to see what makes Jesus so good here, starting in John chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus speaking here says this, I tell you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold, rather than going through the gate, must surely be a thief and a robber. So Jesus here immediately uses the language of a shepherd and his sheep. In this culture that Jesus was in, many times, a shepherd would gather his sheep in a sheep pen like this. Probably larger than this, but maybe an opening similar uh, to this one. The only thing is it wouldn't be made of wood, it'd be made of stone. Well, we did not have enough stone nor the ability to build a stone sheep pen, but I do have a picture of what a, a first century uh, sheep pen might have looked like in Israel. It's a similar U shape with an opening there at the end. And Jesus said, Anyone who climbs in over the wall is a thief and a robber. There's only one way into the fold, only one way into the family. He then continues to describe himself in a way that confuses people. And so we jump to verse 6 here. John 10, 6 through 9 says this. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant, so he explained it to them, and this is an explanation. I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be what? Saved. Those who come in through me, Jesus, will be saved. So Jesus is more than just a shepherd. He is our good shepherd. What makes Jesus so good? We see the first thing right here. Point number one is this He is the way of salvation. He's the way of salvation. Thought maybe one believer would agree with me in the room. Jesus said, I am the gate. All who come in through me will be saved. As I said, if you look at this sheet pen here or think of the one that was on the screens, there is obviously only one way into the pen. Like you, you can't climb in. You can't jump in. Well, you can because I did it uh, earlier this week. Uh, our lead producer, Taylor, did not believe me I could jump into this pen. And so I proved him wrong. It's way easier without people in the room because it's less pressure. I'm going to prove to you I can jump in this pen. You ready? Here we go. Just kidding. (laughs) If I were to do that, then you would look me up on Amazon, who is Jeff Manis, and you'd find out he is a moron. So (laughs) Jesus said, if you climb in or jump in or come in any other way, you don't belong to me. You're a thief and a robber. That there's only one acceptable way into the sheep pen, and that's through the opening. So could we say Jesus is the opening? We could, but it's better than that, and it gets bigger than that. You see, a shepherd, when he would gather his sheep into the pen, would use what's called a shepherd's rod. The other one's called a shepherd's staff. We'll get to that later on in the series, but he would use what's called a shepherd's rod and as the sheep were coming into the pen he would stand at the opening and he would count his sheep he always knew how many sheep he had and which sheep were his so the sheep would come to the opening and as they were coming in they would pass under his shepherd's rod he would count them and make sure that every sheep was his if a sheep somehow got into his flock that was not his he would not let it enter he would send it off on its way to its own flock so once all the sheep were inside and he knew that, that he had all of his sheep and that all the sheep were his, this is where it gets super cool, the shepherd would actually lay down on the ground across the entrance of the sheep pen, protecting the sheep on the inside, keeping thieves and robbers and predators from getting to his sheep, that the shepherd was literally the gate for the sheep. This actually makes other scriptures like John 14, 6 come to life in a whole new way. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father. No one gets in the sheep pen. No one comes to heaven except through me. You can't climb in. You can't jump in. I am the gate. Isn't that amazing? Then Jesus continues. Oh man, three times, this is getting, I'm getting old. <laughs> then Jesus continues describing himself. John 10, verse 11, we've already read it. And then verses 17 through 18. Jesus says this I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. The Father loves me. This is verse 17. Because I sacrifice my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down. That's to die. I have the authority to lay down my life when I want to and also to take it up again. That's to rise from the dead. For this is what my father has commanded And in those verses right there, Jesus gives a personal prophecy about what we are celebrating today on Easter the resurrection of Jesus. That not only did Jesus die for our sins, but he rose from the dead, conquering forever death and hell, and the grave, and sin on our behalf. That because Jesus laid down his life, and because Jesus rose from the dead, he is the only way for sheep to be saved. And we are the sheep. We're the sheep. He alone is the gate into the family of God. I think this actually makes Psalm 23-1 even more powerful The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He's talking about way more than just physical needs. He's talking about spiritual needs as well. That Jesus has done everything necessary to save me from my sins. Therefore, he is the only way to be saved. He alone is the gate. That Jesus is not just a shepherd. He's my good shepherd. So what makes him so good? Well, he laid down his life for me. So he's the only way to be saved. He is the good shepherd. He is the gate. In him is all I need. Jesus then continues. John 10 verses 9b and verse 10 says this about the sheep, they will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The, the, the thief's purpose, the devil's purpose, is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Other versions say life to the fullest. Which, by the way, that sounds an awful lot like Psalm 23 verse 2. We'll get to that later this week. But Psalm 23, 2 says, About God, our good shepherd, he lets me rest in green meadows. Here, Jesus says, good pastures, He leads me beside peaceful streams, or in other words, my life is refreshed. I experience life to its fullest in Christ. So what makes Jesus so good? Number two is this. He provides the worth of salvation. He provides the way. He provides the worth. And here's what I mean. As I was thinking about Easter weekend and Good Friday and the sacrifice that Christ has paid for, for me and for us, it got me contemplating that it would have been enough if Jesus only died to get us into heaven. That would have been enough. Right? Anybody agree? Okay. okay. You're like last service. I'm not sure everybody agrees with me. The, the, the fact that my sin, here's why I say that, the fact that my sin has earned me death, not just physical death, but an eternal spiritual death, that my sin separates me from God forever. But God, through Jesus, paid the price for my sins. He died in my place So that if I enter into his family through him, I don't have to go to hell. I can spend forever in heaven with him. If that's all Jesus did, that would be enough. Amen? But the worth of our salvation is more than that. Did you know that? Salvation is not just avoiding hell. It's living life today. Like the power of the resurrection does more than just get me into heaven. The worth of our salvation is not just getting us into heaven. The worth of our salvation is Jesus wants to get a piece of heaven into us while we still live on the earth. Life to its fullest. A rich and satisfying life. So often, especially on days like today, Easter Sunday, we Christians, we ask people this question. Where would you go if you died tonight? Super encouraging question. Right? Where would you go if you died tonight? And what we're meaning is if you died tonight, would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? And I get it. Like I understand our motives are right in asking that question, but I think we're asking the wrong question. I think the question we should be asking is not where would you go if you died tonight, but where could you go and what could you do if you started living life to the fullest in Christ today? Because listen, church, if you have been saved by Jesus and you live your life in Jesus and through Jesus and for Jesus today and then do it again tomorrow and the next day and the next, then no matter what day is your last, you already know where you'll go when you die, so you may as well live like you believe it today. That's some good preaching right there. Listen, eternal life doesn't start when you die. It's happening as we speak. Jesus said, My sheep, they come and go freely. I help them find good pastures. The devil wants to steal and kill your life. I want to give you a rich and satisfying life, life to the fullest. That not only do I provide the way of salvation, but I provide the worth of salvation as well. That no matter where I lead you, it is my purpose and my plan to fill you up with life, not just living and breathing life, not even a life of something you can hold in your hands, but the kind of life to its fullest that's rooted in your heart. The life I want to give does not rise and fall with what you have or experience in this life on the earth. The life I want to give fills you up with something you cannot find on the earth outside of me, the good shepherd. Max Lucado, in his book called Traveling Light. Speaking about Psalm 23.1, the Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. He says this, David has found the pasture where discontent goes to die. It's as if he is saying, what I have in God is greater than what I don't have in life. Hello. So Jesus is more than just a shepherd, he's our good shepherd. What makes him so good? Well, he provides the way of salvation, he provides the worth of, of salvation the last one number three he provides the walk of salvation as well he provides the walk of salvation jesus in john 10 verses 14 through 16 then we'll jump to verse 27 as well the last verse of the passage jesus says this i am the good shepherd i know my sheep and they know me just as my father knows me and i know the Father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too. This is verse 16. Now he's talking about those who don't believe yet. So in essence, he's talking about us. I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. There'll be one flock with one shepherd. My sheep, verse 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. That my sheep Those who come in through me, the gate, those who experience life to the full, my sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. That right there is the walk of our salvation, following our shepherd. So let me ask a very pointed question. If I don't follow Jesus, am I really a part of his flock? Jesus is not just a shepherd. He's our good shepherd. He provides the way of salvation that he alone is the gate. He provides the worth of salvation, filling us up with life to its fullest. He provides the walk of salvation, letting us know, hey, I'll lead you to good pastures, but you can't get there on your own. And on our way to good pastures, you're going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but you will not fear, for I am with you. I'll give you strength to endure. I'll give you strength to abide. I'll give you strength to get there. If you'll walk with me, I will get you there because you can't do it on your own. So will you follow me? You might say, well, why do we have to follow? Here's why. The Lord is my shepherd. David did not say the Lord is a shepherd. He didn't even say the Lord is the shepherd. He said the Lord's my shepherd. I follow him because I trust him. If I don't follow him, that means I do not trust him. So, in the middle of this whole conversation, disagreement arises about who is Jesus. John 10 19 through 21. When he said these things, the people were again divided in their opinions about him. Some said he's demon-possessed and out of his mind. Why listen to a man like that? Others said, this doesn't sound like a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Sounds a lot like what the blind man said. I don't know who this dude is. All I know is I was blind, but now I see He's got to be God. He's got to be the good shepherd. He opened my eyes. So at the end of chapter 9, right after the man was born or was healed, the man who was born blind was healed, he was criticized by the Pharisees. Jesus speaks up at the end of chapter 9. This morning, I was just, I wasn't planning on sharing this, but I was reminded of it in my last minute preparations for today. Jesus told the Pharisees, I entered the world to give sight to the blind, not physically, but spiritually. And then he said, I, I entered the world to give sight to the blind and to show those who think they see that they are blind. The Pharisees then asked Jesus, are you saying we're blind? We're the leaders of this whole religion. You're telling us we're blind? This to Jesus' response. If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, but you remain guilty because you claim to see. Woo. No wonder they wanted to kill him. You remain guilty because you claim you see. And I just got a hunch that there's some people in our midst today that you claim you see, but you're blind. Spiritually blind. You've never entered into the family through the gate. Jesus, our good shepherd. So what do you say? Who's Jesus to you? Have you made him your shepherd? Or is he just a shepherd to you? He provides the way. He provides the worth. He provides the walk. So I think there's probably some people that need to have their spiritual eyes open today by putting their faith in our good shepherd. If that's you, make no mistake about it. Jesus laid down his life for you. He took it back up again on Resurrection Sunday. And he said, if you'll believe in me, I'll, wipe, I'll wash you clean, I'll make you new, I'll forgive your sins. I'll give you a real life today, and eternal life forever with me in heaven. If that's you today, you want to put your faith in Christ, the good shepherd, start your walk with him. I want you to say this prayer with me. Just repeat it silently to God. I'll ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Just say this, Father in heaven, I believe in Jesus. Jesus, I believe you are the only way. You are the gate. And I want to enter into your family by faith in you today. So I declare, you are my Savior. Please forgive me of all my sins, everything I've done. Forgive me. Wash me clean and make me new. Come into my heart. Give me new life today. I'm going to turn from my old life and do my best to follow you with my new life. Give me that power to walk with you. You are the way, you provide the worth, and you enable my walk. I give my life to you. Thanks for loving me. I'll do my best to love you back. In Jesus' name, amen. In both of our services so far, one more to go here at one o'clock, but in all of our services, we've had people respond. that invitation to put their faith in Jesus, please know that for a lot of us in the room, we've prayed a very similar prayer at some point in our life, and it has changed our life. So if you're here today, and you just put your faith in Jesus, there's something about acknowledging it publicly that I'm going to challenge you to do. So if you just put your faith in Jesus for the very first time, would you do something very bold but very safe in this environment? Would you just lift up your hand and leave it up? Say, yep, that's me. I just asked Jesus into my heart. Praise God. Right there. Amen. Amen. Praise God, back there, amen, praise God, right there, amen, 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 amen. All the way in the back, I see you, praise God, buddy, welcome to the family, amen. Anybody else? Praise God, right here, welcome to the family, amen, amen, yeah, yes. Listen, we are so proud of you and your heavenly father is so proud of you right now. The Bible tells us that when one person repents, all of heaven rejoices. So make no mistake about it, there's a party going on right now in heaven for you, which is amazing. We want to help you live out your walk with Christ, and so we've got a free devotional for you called 21. Just ask for a 21 Devo out there at guest services. We'll put it right into your hands, no strings attached. It'll help you start walking with Jesus, answering some questions, get you into the Bible. In fact, you're going to read right through uh, the book of John that we were in today, so you can get one of those. Also, if you'd mark on your connection card that you asked Jesus into your heart, promise you it won't do anything weird. We want to celebrate with you, offer you some resources. Uh, Let me pray for you guys, and then remain seated, and still, if you would, I've got just a quick closing remarks here. God, thanks so much for sending Jesus as our good shepherd. And Lord, seeing people enter into the fold just never gets old for me. You, Jesus, saved us because you're the good shepherd. And right in our midst, we saw people enter the gate of salvation. It's amazing. Lord, help us. Those of us who are new believers and old and even unbelievers, Lord, to remember you are the way, you provide the worth, you enable the walk, in Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer for something, we got a prayer team at the very back of the room at the purple tent there. They'll pray for anything going on in your life, and they'll stay as long as you need, so stop by there for prayer. If you're new, please stop by the living room. If you came prepared to give, use those giving boxes. Next week, we're going to keep on looking at Psalm 23. Back to our regular service times next week. Uh, so I'd love to see you here for that. I love you guys. Happy Easter. You're dismissed.